no internet, didn't cater for not everyone having laptops and that type of thing, didn't cater for the price point that South African and African universities could afford. And that's when we went full on and decided, no, we're going to build this, we're going to build this app, we're going to build this company. I resigned from the bank and then from then on I've been focusing flat out and growing the invigilator. I'm, I'm Nick Riemer, I'm a chartered accountant from Johannesburg, South Africa, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of a business called The Invigilator. I think growing up in South Africa, sport was sort of always a big part of my life. I played a lot of cricket growing up, a lot of golf growing up, and I think that definitely sort of primary school, so maybe even early high school, you know, doing something in sport, playing professional sport was obviously, you know, a dream of, 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 most, uh, yeah, of most South Africans playing sport at the time. So I think that was obviously, you know, something there. Um, I think as I, as I grew up and, and, and got a bit older, so my passion for, for business, for finance started to develop. Um, and, and I think that, you know, trying to make it in sport for me was obviously, you know, I wasn't good enough and I was able to determine that, you know, quite early on. But I think that, you know, through business, through finance, being very fortunate to be involved with a number of different sort of sporting activities, events, um, you know, sponsoring one or two players back in South Africa. And that for me has obviously been, you know, an unbelievable thing to do. So school, you know, like I said, I think sport, sport was obviously my first, uh, <laughs> my first priority, definitely, you know, sort of leading into high school. I think that I always had a sort of a really good sort of study ethic. I, you know, I placed, I placed big importance on sort of studying and working hard, but at the same time definitely had the balance of, of playing a lot of sport. Um, even going into, you know, even going into my sort of first degree, I actually never studied the, the, the chartered accountancy straight out of, out, of, out of my studies. I actually went to the University of Stellenbosch first to play cricket and studied sort of a finance degree. Um, really, you know, really interested in finance, but, but I think that studying the chartered accountancy while playing sort of full-time sport for the university was going to be a little bit much. So that kind of convinced me to do, you know, to do, to rather focus on finance and, and then do the sport. And I think that was a really good decision because I think it would have been very difficult to try and balance all of that, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I, I, I did nicely in terms of university in my first degree, um, and and then obviously made the decision to 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 go back and, and do my chartered accountancy. Then back in Johannesburg at the at the University of Johannesburg. So I um, once qualifying in my sort of in my finance degree first joined the mergers and acquisitions team and quickly realized that um, I was working with a lot of chartered accountants. My father's a chartered accountant, so we've obviously been you know exposed to it from a very young age, and I think that. I was very interested in in either running a team like the M&A team or being involved in the businesses that we were investing in at the time and and for me that that was you know sort of the chartered accountancy degree qualification sort of gave me the best foundation I suppose to go and compete with with big businesses and to go and you know sort of take a seat at the table in in potentially going and running one of those divisions and I think that was sort of the emphasis and when I made that decision to go and study the chartered accountancy it became my whole world you know I, I focused on absolutely I did a conversion year while working um, so you sort of catch up the BAC or the Bachelor of Accounting qualification over three years in one year so I did that while working um, and then when I did my honours year we call it the Certificate in the Theory of Accountancy so CTA in in South Africa, um, you know, I did that full time and, and really made that my sort of made that my full priority when studying and, and, and you know, did, did absolutely everything in achieving the best marks that I possibly could, um, you know, obviously once making that decision. Yeah. So I was 
fortunate enough to, to do academic articles at the University of Johannesburg once I'd done my honours here. Um, like I said, I worked, I worked extremely hard in my studies, so I think I, I got a fortunate you know, position to go back to the university um, for, for sort of one of the years of my apprenticeship or articles. Um, and, and that's where I got exposed to lecturing, setting papers, engaging with students, and it was something that just sort of resonated with me. It was something where sort of a passion started to grow, especially for finance. I lectured finance at the time. Um, once finishing that year, I moved into the investment bank to complete the, the, the rest of my sort of my training contract. Um, so I moved to a bank called First Rand and, and rotated through um, FNB, Rand Merchant Bank, um, in, in you know seeing the different aspects, I suppose, of, of all of the finance divisions. Um, still stayed involved with, with academia, though. Guest lectured when I could, set papers when I could. Um, and and once finishing, once qualifying as a CA, headed up one of the investment teams at, at the F&B Wealth and Investment Teams and, and wrote a lot of the investment education content on behalf of the bank, did a lot of interviews on behalf of the bank um, on financial literacy, on talking about complex sort of financial instruments, financial strategies. Um, so that was obviously something that sort of clicked and linked in back with my, my passion for, for, for lecturing at the time, but in a, in a slightly different way. And then at the beginning of, of 2020, when you know we had the idea to, to, to create the Invigilator application um, it, it you know it was an, an application that was very much needed in South Africa and Africa at the time because all of the international technology didn't necessarily cater for you know no internet didn't cater for not everyone having laptops and that type of thing didn't cater for the price point that South African and African universities could afford um, and that's when we went full-on and decided no we're gonna build this we're gonna build this app we're gonna build this company and uh, yeah that's what I did so I um, I resigned from the bank and then from then on I've been focusing flat out and growing the invigilator so when you write uh, an exam away from the venue, which is obviously what everyone had to experience as a result of COVID, um, a lot of the technologies monitor students continuously through constant video streaming. Now, if you put that in a sort of an emerging market, very difficult for students, number one, to have constant internet connection and then have enough data to be able to, you know, to do that anyway. Laptops, price point, it just wasn't going to work. So what you ended up having is that lots of universities had absolutely no technology that they could do it. So it was almost like an honesty, honesty system where there was no tech that could be used. So everyone wrote from home and then obviously the, the academic integrity of all of those assessments then came into question during 2020. So we decided to create um, a mobile-based application. So any entry-level mobile phone can run our technology. And what it does is it makes sure that the correct student is writing that paper through a facial recognition algorithm. It makes sure students are not talking while they're writing through a speech detection algorithm. It makes sure no one's sitting next to one another with GPS detection. It allows the students to upload all of their work, upload their scripts after the assessment, straight into the app to submit it onto the lecturer's dashboard for marking. And then we run a comparison across the university and publish works to make sure that no answers have been shared or copied out of textbooks, that type of thing. So really what it does, it all runs in a way that it runs in app without the student needing to be connected to the internet the whole time. So what it has allowed South Africa and Africa to do is really open up the borders in terms of study. You no longer need to move to a university or get a residence to go and actually study at a university. You can be based wherever suitable for you, attend your online lectures on the devices that you have and then write all of your assessment and tests then on your entry-level mobile device to make sure that you're doing everything under the correct exam conditions. It maintains your exam integrity and then the best part is obviously for the universities, it's reducing all the fixed costs. They no longer have to limit the acceptance of students based on the venues that they've got available. They can start accepting more and more students, which is making education more accessible and then, more importantly, more affordable in our country. So I'm 
sort of, I got the, the finance brain in the family. Luckily, my brother got the, the sort of very gifted software engineer brain. So I think when, when, when we started, the, the four of us had founded the application. So two senior lecturers from the University of Johannesburg, myself, and then my brother obviously handling the tech side. And I think for, for us, what we were able to do, and I suppose this is why we were able to, to sort of penetrate the market so quickly, um, you know, up to now, we've got about 25 universities making use of the app. Um, one of our biggest universities has about 360,000 students alone making use of the technology. So we've got a lot of students making use of the solution. But I think that all of the existing technology that was typically developed in the first world didn't necessarily take a step back and think, what do the academics need? What do the students need? And because we had that sort of first-hand experience of academia ourselves, combining it with the right tech and building it ourselves to suit specific needs of students and lecturers in emerging markets was the reason that we were able to create, I suppose, a popular product, a product that was able to scale so quickly and, and, and you know, ultimately be used across sort of the majority of institutions now um, where I'm from. So I think I always had, you know, when I went to go and talk to my dad and say, you know, I'm now going to leave sort of M&A to go and study my CA, he was like, well, it's a, it's, it's a big decision. You're already in a front office role. You know, why on earth would you do that? And it was just something that I needed to do. It was like a deep burning. I always said to him, it was just something I had to do. I really wanted to progress in my career. I really wanted to put myself as a business owner one day. And if I look back on it now, if I never made that decision, if I never went and studied my CA, I wouldn't have done academic articles at the University of Johannesburg. I wouldn't have met my business partners now who were instrumental in obviously helping, you know, drive the solution forward and, and, and making it sort of as successful as it is today. Um, it wouldn't have given me the context of what students and lecturers would have needed. Um, and it wouldn't have given me the financial foundation to, to, I suppose, create the company from the first place. I mean, we did a big sort of private equity deal, you know, a year into launching the solution where, you know, we had we had different offers coming in. And I mean, if you didn't have, you know, the good sort of financial foundation that the CA degree gives you, um, you know, you might have been, you know, or we might have been a little bit out of our depth. But I suppose with the, the background that we've all got, you know, we were able to sort of leave the, the transaction from start to execution, bring on big capital funders, allow us now to drive the product, you know, not just in South Africa and Africa, but globally as well. So really the CA qualification has given me everything. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's been the stereotype that if you're a chartered accountant, you're either going to be an auditor or you're going to work in banking. And that's not necessarily the case. I think that, you know, the, the, the CA qualification puts you in this absolutely fortunate position where, you know, you are probably, you know, one of the, you know, the fortunate few in the world that, you know, understand financial literacy from top to bottom. So look for opportunities. There's so many problems in the world and, and, you know, problems are not something to moan about. Problems mean that you can actually put your, your mind, to, you know, to, to solving a solution or a potential solution for it. I mean, if you look at, you know, our situation, you could have sat back and said, oh, we'll wait for COVID to finish. But it would have never resulted then in, in potentially improving education and making education so much more accessible. And I think that that's what chartered accountants need, need to do. You know, we, we typically look at risk. A lot of our lives, you know, so after my studies, it's a seven-year qualification by the time you qualify as a CA. You know, typically when, you, when you're at the end of that journey, you know, you're quite, you know, you're sort of quite used to looking at risk and being quite risk-averse. And I think that CAs maybe need to take a step back and look at what opportunities are out there that they can take their CA to and start creating companies because we've got one of the worst unemployment rates in, in South Africa currently. And, 
it's up to CASAs, once they qualify, to start looking at all the different ideas out there, the problems that they can start putting solutions to. Because ultimately, that is what's going to create jobs. That's what's going to drive employment. That's what's going to drive our GDP forward. Um, and, you know, with the, with the CASA qualification, you don't just sit back now and let the world come to you and think you've done all this hard work you studied. I've always said it's sort of the, the first brick in your house. It's really up to you now. You're in this fortunate position. What are you going to go and do with it?